Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to be talking to my very good friend and trainer, Rich O'Neill. Rich is a lifelong fitness adventurer, and he's also the founder of Elite Functional Performance here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Rich has an amazing story of all sorts of adventures that ultimately led him to a mountain biking accident years ago that changed the course of his life. I'm excited for Rich to share his story and how that accident ultimately led him to helping people like myself to physically prepare for adventures through what he calls fitness longevity. Rich has done so much for me uh, personally to help me with some back pain issues that ultimately got me back to where I was doing the adventures that I was able to do. And so I'm super excited to share his story with you and, uh, and some of his guidance on fitness longevity. So Rich, welcome to the campfire, my friend. Thank you, Scott. This is awesome, man. I'm really psyched to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. So um, you have such a cool background and such a cool story of kind of where you lived and sort of the progression of how you ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. But can we just go right back to kind of your the, the beginning of your story and where you're from and and uh, mm-hmm. kind of how you traveled around? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born in Bronxville, New York. Um, lived downstate New York my entire life. I, I guess it really started before all that. My mother was born in Germany. Um, so I've got very deep European roots, got some Irish in there. You can tell by the last name as well. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a mix of the like classic European kind of, you know, <laughs> what you find these days over in that area in New York. Yeah. And so I feel like that served as sort of a backdrop for a lot of how my introduction came about into what I call the physical culture. I remember doing things slightly unorthodox growing up as it pertained to how my mom would treat colds and various things like that, being from a European background. And so I was always thankful to have a little bit um, of a more, I guess, different experience as it pertained to some of those things. But right away, I realized that, you know, there was a lot of different stuff going on. And so living in an area like New York, um, you got to taste everything. Yeah. And so, you know, before you know it, getting ready to finish up high school in North Jersey and had an opportunity to get to a small state school in Southern Vermont for a couple of years. And that was really my first experience of moving from a really urbanized metropolitan area like New York, heavily densely populated, you know, kind of the classic, like, you know, what it's like to live in an urban area. Right. Um, to a very secluded part of the country that some people never get to go to and exploring other parts that I've never been to within that state, within that region, really just kind of like the curtain lifted for me. And I realized that there was something beyond what this, this melting pot that I was raised in and around. Culturally, there was so much for me to absorb in the area that I was, you know, where I grew up and how I grew up and when I grew up. But all of a sudden I realized that there was a lot more to see and experience and adventures were gonna be what really, you know, catalog my experience through memories and things like that. And so 
it was a turning point for me to grow up in a very specific area and have a very specific, um, you know, kind of like things are in a very immigrant based um, neighborhood and with, you know, first and second generation immigrants all over the place, things look very, very standardized. And so for me to leave that environment and go uh, explore Southern Vermont and the whole Northeast kingdom and different crazy parts of New England I'd never been to and Montreal. And all of a sudden I was like, man, I kind of don't want to go back to New York. <laughs> right. Well, something that kind of a, a switch flipped in you. And, and actually it's funny because we were talking this morning and, and uh, you said that kind of a, a time came where you were just ready to kind of move away from where you were. And you, you there was, there was something that involved a coin toss here that. Yeah. So the coin toss was, do we go to Vermont or do we go to Boulder, Colorado? Yeah, that was it. You know, I was having a tough time deciding and my dad was just like, why don't you just flip a coin? Because you only got two choices and you seem to be cool with each one, but you're struggling on where to land. So flip a damn coin, that always works. And sure enough, Boulder, Colorado is where it began. Um, My true transition into the physical culture um, through the portal of nutrition and supplementation. And so that was kind of the jump off point for me to now start going full time into that world. Um, you know, learning more about um, the implementation of, you know, nutritional herbs with food, with, you know, other holistic practices to create wellness for people um, on a very intrinsic level. And so that was, a you know, it's flip the coin and see where you land. <laughs> flip the coin and see where we land. So here's what I love about Rich O'Neill. Because kind of this, uh, you know, macho Bronx tough guy that goes out to Colorado and becomes a hippie. And, you know, now we got the best of both worlds. Talk about two sides of a coin. (laughs) That's exactly right. But it's pretty awesome. So, Rich, so you moved out to Colorado. You start working at Whole Foods. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. man, the adventures that you can have in Colorado. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it was very eye-opening. I, you know, I had been into mountain biking. Um up through the Catskills and, you know, parts of New York that weren't far from where I was living. Um, Got up in the, you know, areas I was familiar with in Vermont and up through some other areas in New England and thought I knew big mountain riding. Yeah. Um, And then I went to the Rockies and realized I hadn't experienced anything relatively close to any of that. Um, So I was geographically altered in my perspective, Mm. um, you know, and, you know, you just had to basically start from square one and test your limits and see where your, you know, where your comfort zone was. Um, but I really enjoyed the adventures as far as being able to do everything from mountain biking and snowboarding on the same day, depending on what season it was, to, you know, snowshoeing and different things I had never done before. Um, adventures outdoors with animals doing cool stuff. And just the ability to explore into open space. Um, you know, I was really thankful to land in Boulder County where they've just from day one have done a fantastic job, you know, really sectorizing certain areas um, for open space yeah. and just allowing, you know, community members to go enjoy some of the most gorgeous, well-kept areas that you'll find um, anywhere around there. So, you know, from an adventure standpoint, every day was something new for me. You know, I'd look at my schedule at Whole Foods a week ahead of time and be like, man, I hope it's not raining Wednesday and Sunday because I want to get out and do something cool. Those are my days <laughs> off right. next week, you know? That's right. And so, uh, yeah, it was really awesome to be able to yeah. be in an environment that supported that and really, you know, I was just there to go. That for sure. And so mountain biking became a pretty big thing for you out there. Just, let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the easiest way for me to 
you know, get my next adventure, so to speak. Like, you know, I came through um, a very heavy background of, of BMXing, um, you know, BMX racing, um, freestyle dirt jumping, you know, again, where I grew up, when I grew up, it was, you know, these pre X games type activities yeah. where, you know, we'd build a mound of dirt and start launching ourselves um, without pads or helmets um, upside down and around and about. And, you know, sometimes you land rubber side down um, <laughs> and sometimes you don't. But, you know, my background had always been very prolific on a bicycle and I enjoyed it and did very well as far as some of the trick stuff and whatnot. So mountain biking was a natural, you know, fit. Um, it seemed a lot easier to do certain things with bigger wheels and shocks mm -hmm. and, you know, absorption factors that were never there on those little 20 inch steel, you know, BMX bikes that you remember growing up with. And so yep. I really got into the racing aspect and got really into the, you know, let me get in shape here, training in the altitude kind of thing. And, and it really took a hold of me when I first got out there. Cause again, I mean, I could go to these ski resorts that were, you know, hosting races in the, on, on, in the off season from snow and really experience, you know, lots of new adventures that were just way out of my, my, my relative comfort zone, but also just things I had never even thought were out there. So it was really, really cool to get into the mountain bike side of things. Cool thing about working at a store like Whole Foods Market was you had a lot of people from different areas of Boulder County all coming to that store to work. So, I mean, I had mm -hmm. buddies that were in the produce department that would live in some of the towns that I would love going mountain biking in. So we'd make plans on days off to connect up in their hood and they'd show me yeah. a bunch of like awesome secret trails that were built like out of these old, you know, U.S. Forest Service roads that got retired in the 70s and some guys get out there with some chainsaws and built like a few miles of, you know, single track and it's like epic, but nobody knows about it. Right. And now I can go up there and mountain bike, you know, like it was sick right. making some of those connections and literally adventures that you wouldn't even expect, but, you know, you can cultivate that through an environment like that. And that's really the mountain bike community really drew me in. Yeah. And the way that you were biking out there, this wasn't just kind of casually riding around trails in the woods. I mean, you were, you were on some pretty, you're, first of all, in Colorado, you know, 14ers out there and, uh, yeah. and you're on a mountain bike and, you know, there's some speed involved. Let's, let's talk about some of the danger and then let's talk about what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you'd like to go fast. Um, and again, not being familiar with a lot of the big mountain situations. I've never seen boulders getting spit out of people's back tires um, that come at you looking at like the size of a right. basketball and you got to either do some quick reactive stuff or, you know, you're going to end up rubber side up and that's never yep. good. Yeah. And so, um, you know, doing a race one time in winter park, Colorado, 2001, doing pretty good. And, you know, saw a racer in front of me go down and spit a rock out and I wasn't able to get out of the way in time, turn the bars, crash into that. And at the time I had already broken my right hand three times and my left wrist once in mm. some form of accident associated with putting my hands out in front of me falling um, on bikes over the course of my life. So I remember that distinct moment being like, don't put your hands out, dummy. This is going to be a bad right. one. So I decided to kind of like take it in the shoulder, the same okay. shoulder I'd broken a collarbone on the summer before I started high school yep. in a parking lot BMX accident like an idiot. Um <laughs> So that same broken right collarbone was now going to absorb all the force going downhill flying. Yeah. So I tore my shoulder up pretty good. Didn't break anything, thankfully, but the injury was severe enough that I landed myself as a patient in North Boulder physical therapy clinic and Whole Foods was picking up the tab. So you better believe I was in there three days a week doing all my homework, doing my mm -hmm. sessions yep. and really trying to re rehab a, you know, 
partially torn rotator cuff. There was some, um, you know, damage at the supraspinatus and infraspinatus, which are the, you know, the muscles that would be responsible, say, for reaching back to grab the seatbelt in your vehicle, okay. that external rotation of the shoulder. So that means the actions of things like, you know, washing your hair, brushing your teeth, rotating the arm in that action on my right shoulder, my dominant arm, that was problematic. Um, and it was a slow return after an accident like that because of the heavy compression and impact there was an ac sprain um, of the ligaments in the acromium clavicular joint there um, from the impact and so you know you got some tendon damage you got some ligament damage you got some muscular damage um thankfully you didn't break any bones so you know i'm sitting in there and doing my exercises and everything's going and you know here we are rehabbing now so the accident, um, what did it do to, what did it mean for your, uh, love of mountain biking and your, uh, the path you were on in terms of mountain biking? Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes you start realizing that, you know, there's different levels, um, of competition involved mm-hmm. with sports like that. Um, things like dual slalom downhill, a lot of the slope style, high risk park events are, uh, they carry with it a certain risk to reward ratio that I think I fit better now into the standard cross country kind of classic fit sure. as far as what those courses sure. and well. tracks look like. And you grind it out there, you know, um, it's, it, you, you realize like I, I can distinctly remember the morning that morning, you know, after the wreck and, you know, I'm in the sling and, you know, I was able to vel- unvelcro it so that I could, just at least get my arm to move a little bit at the elbow and my alarm goes off the next morning. So I'm laying in bed and I was like, let me just see if I can like do anything with this arm. And I tried to like do something like external rotation to try and like roll and hit the alarm and I couldn't get any movement at all. So, I mean, in that moment that I was so terrified thinking I had done severe damage, this is the morning after I hadn't had any pictures yet. You know I mean? I'm like something, it doesn't work at all. And I'm trying and so that moment that like, I was terrified that like, man, did I like, is my arm shut off? What's the deal here? It's definitely bad. First thing I could think of was to go to the Whole Foods and get one of the massage girls at the yep. you know little face down massage chair area to start rubbing on that thing. That was a bad idea um, because it was pretty angry. And then girl gets in there with the thumb and finds an old trigger point, you know, from throwing baseballs or something. And wham now it's really angry and yeah so i mean it was it was terrifying in that moment and then you start to realize like i love this sport but i don't need to have these type of you know near-death experiences in order to (laughs) get what i need from that sport so right a lot of times the injuries put the brakes on for you um because i wasn't that good at putting the brakes on myself when i was going downhill on a bike and so you know the speed works right up until the point that there's a wreck that says back off a little bit yeah well sometimes life shows us what what we need to be doing right it just if we can't figure it out on our own but a couple of hands a wrist you said a shoulder yeah (laughs) yeah but but clearly you did learn your lesson because now you've got (laughs) people that are just like you coming in to see you yeah so so how did you how how does this story kind of round out in terms of like next steps in Colorado and how you ended up here in Charlotte and, uh, and how elite functional performance was born. So it was interesting, you know, I'm sitting in there working at Whole Foods figuring, Hey, this thing is going great. I'm working in the, you know, the, what I consider the premier department mm-hmm. of the store, you know, vitamins and health and beauty aids, you know, and 
we had a great team and I'm loving it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to grow with this company and I'm rehabbing my shoulder. Here we go. You know, and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden I go in and I remember my PT. He was a good dude. We're buddies on LinkedIn. And um, he's like, yeah, last session today. And, you know, we're going to get wrap everything up. And I'm like, hold up, dude. I can't like take that two pound weight from last time and go over head yet pain free. Like, yeah. where are we at with this? What do you mean last session? He's like, well, it's the last session that is pre-approved. So I'll tell you what the rate is and you can pay out of pocket if you want, but yeah. this is the last session that's, you know, on your package. Right. And when I realized that the out of pocket cost was unrealistic, I was like, all right, I'm not done yet with this process. If you were me, how could I learn more about the shoulder? So I asked them to write a couple books down, you know, name of a few books that I could look up or whatever on shoulder, figure out what's going on. And I'm a pretty smart dude. I graduated from college. And so I was like, <laughs> let me see if I could figure this thing out. So I read a few books on shoulder anatomy and I realize, all right, I've had it wrong most of my life playing overhead sports and doing things that involve compression and breaking my shoulder. So mechanically, I was so off and muscularly, I was so out of balance. Um, once I understood sort of what the structure was made up of and how it looked, I took my Whole Foods YMCA membership and went over to the gym and yeah. kind of made up my own exercise routine. And within about a month, I was damn near out of pain. And within about six weeks, um, man, I was probably the strongest I'd ever been. And so something dawned on me in that moment. Um, and it's funny because the YMCA was like directly behind Whole Foods in Boulder separated maybe on the yeah. side by like a softball field. And I remember getting out of the gym after I had this epiphany that like, oh my God, all I was lacking was strength. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like ran over to Whole Foods and was like telling my buddy, I'm like, I think I figured out the shoulder thing. Like I have no pain now. This thing's actually working. Yeah. And I realized I think I need to start exploring more into the world of movement, fitness, and strength because I could only imagine there were people in a very similar situation like me that we're going to have a, you know, unfavorable outcome from a classic clinical experience, but what do they do? Do they go to the YMCA and start doing pushups again? Because that might've been what caused their problem. Yep. And so I immediately saw that, you know, through my experience in athletics and everything else through high school, college, you name it. I was like, okay, there's a break in the functionality as far as how exercise is typically being taught. We have what I call a beat them till you break them type attitude toward exercise. And then when you're broken, you've got a less than favorable outcome from the clinical experience. I'm like, well, this is obviously why people think that as you get older, things are supposed to hurt and get more broken is because you broke it on purpose and you don't have anyone to fix it. Yeah. And so I was like, what if you didn't break it? And when it started to kind of sound weird, you knew how to fix it. So I had this vision in my head of like, all right, what if you did exercise in a way that didn't destroy the bot? Or what if you did things with movement that actually taught the body to, um, you know, flourish within the way it was designed to work. Um, would that mean that you'd have knee pain at 50, 60, 70 and back pain and all this other stuff? Like maybe not. And so it kind of got this seed planted in my head and, you know, I've had some connections through whole foods that got me linked up to a local gym, 24 hour fitness. So I got certified for personal training and began my personal training career there in 2003 at 24 hour yeah. fitness in Boulder. Yeah. So, so this whole thing kind of evolved and, and, and what you practice at elite functional performance is, is what you call fitness longevity. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So again, everything was so pivotal for me, that experience at Whole Foods and moving out 
my true adventure moving out of New York to, to Boulder. Um, you know, I, I was working in the nutrition department with, um, with a kid who did body work, you know, a really awesome high level world-class elite level body worker. Um, and he had hooked up with a guy in Boulder just down the block from our whole foods and he was doing body work at his gym. And here I am now a new trainer and we're working the night shift together at Whole Foods. And he's telling me about his body work clients and where they're all tight. And I'm telling him about the exercise programs I'm writing for the clients that I have at the gym. And we're really vibing on this whole, like, yeah, we're selling vitamins and slinging supplements all over Boulder, but we're also like both developing this second career as like yeah. hands-on and movement guys. And yep. he kept saying, you got to meet this guy, Sam. He's like, you know, your brains are very similar. And, you know, that's really, um, we kept drilling it like you know you're thinking the same way conceptually you're seeing the same things being wrong i hear you saying a lot of what he's saying and finally i was i've driven by the place a thousand times it's on a pretty major road in boulder so i went in i met the guy um and uh, you know what i thought was a casual conversation i later learned was my formal interview um and he was going to allow me to come in and do some personal training what really made me committed from the beginning to working with Sam, his name's Sam Ionetta, committed to working with Sam and, and, and being mentored by Sam was he's describing to me in this conversation slash interview, his system of exercise. That is, I'm like, I've, I've been thinking this, but you've actually got a system that has simplified this thing down to the raw nuts and bolts of what's required for this lifetime of, you know, quality movement. And he's like the only other guy I met at that point in my life who didn't believe that you have to feel like crap as you get older or things must degrade and deteriorate in the human body as you age. And that pain and discomfort and limited movement is part of the aging process. He was like, I think it's all BS. And we have an exercise system that's starting to buck the trend and have our grandmas outperforming their grandkids. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I'm yeah. like, really? I'm like, I believe that this is a thing. I'm trying to do that at this other gym, but I got like frat boys dropping hundred pound dumbbells all over, all over the place yeah. and kids on the cardio machine trying to sweat out a hangover from the night before. And I'm getting nowhere. And he's like, no, not only is this a thing, like that's the only thing we do here. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Lock me in. And, you know, I stayed locked in um, working exclusively for Sam for, you know, almost 11 years. Yeah. I mean, so in this, I want to get into that just a little bit more because, you know, obviously it's helped me, but so let's just kind of fast forward from Colorado to Charlotte to elite functional performance. And then, and then we'll kind of get into some more of that fitness longevity. Yeah. So, I mean, I basically, you know, I've been mentoring under Sam, um, you know, again, over 10 years, um, really had a strong hold on the system at that point. I believe that my, um, you know, he'd always drill me to study the body, know your anatomy, this and that. I think at some point, you know, leaving that scene and um, venturing out on my own was going to be the next step in my own development um, as his mentor, um, you know, as, as his mentoree. And so as fate had it, you know, I was never looking, but through a mutual connection of a client that I was training, I got invited to her wedding. I meet a gal there who's a close friend of hers. We hit it off and she lives in Charlotte. So now comes the choice, right? Do I stay in Boulder and continue this thriving career or do I chase the woman I just fell in love with and put myself back in the Eastern time zone in a new environment for a new adventure? 
And, nice. you know, there's the opportunity now for me to have a family. And I felt like I was at the time equipped with a good enough skill set that I could, you know, kind of fly the coop and be out from under Sam's wing and maybe not fail. So Charlotte was the place where I landed. And I knew when I got here, I was like, it's a long shot that I'm going to find what I need here for a job. I mean, I can't go to the local YMCA and do what I do. Um, mm -hmm. You couldn't imagine training the way I do in a place like that. And it's just because our system is a lot less conventional than what you'd experience in a lot of those scenarios. And so it's got to be taught, delivered, and conceptualized very specifically in a very, um, you know, I, I think in a very precise way. And so I think in a way the thought was in my mind at some point upon arriving in Charlotte, like, I'm probably going to have to just start my own gig here because I doubt yeah. anybody's going to have anything close to what Sam had. And yeah. I, I needed a certain way for me to do what I do. You know, so that was in a sense, the, the birth of elite functional performance um, was me kind of like needing a place to work. And, you know, the gym that I had briefly hooked up with when I first got here was going under and, and, you know, owner was going to just shut the doors and then shut it down. So we bought some of the equipment, found a location. And shortly after I had arrived here and, you know, met a group of trainers that um, I had started to kind of form a community with a few of the clients, a couple of the people I've been working with, we all decided to just kind of start this thing from scratch. That was 2016. Yeah, I love it. So you said, so now you're in Charlotte and, and you said when you were working with Sam, I love that you said grandmas were outperforming their grandkids or something yes. to that effect. So, sure. so what, what is the underpinning of that? Just for, for layman listeners, like what's the underpinning of that, of that fitness longevity that helps grandma outperform her grandkids? Yeah. So it's black and white. It's very simple stuff. Like it's, you know, when people ask me, so what do you do with exercise? I'm like, let's talk about what I don't do. You know, like we don't believe that flipping tractor tires or swinging sledgehammers is a good way to keep your lower back in shape over the course of a lifetime. Whether you do it right or wrong, whatever, if you didn't do it, you'd probably feel better. Mm -hmm. So we've simplified the, the exercise system to truly what the body needs. Mm -hmm. We need to push, we need to pull, we need to squat, we need to twist, we need to do these with correct biomechanical precision. We need to have functional joint range of motion, maybe not precise end range or, you know, what they say in the book is optimal joint range of motion. What makes sense for each person? Um, we know we need functional strength, you know, try getting through life being weak. Um, that doesn't work for anybody. You know, the door is going to weigh 20 something pounds. You got to push it open. Um, life has load. And we need stability because we have staircases and we get in and out of vehicles and we raise and lower our center of mass. Mm -hmm. So all these different things pertain to needs of the human body from a movement standpoint over a lifetime. And fitness longevity has simplified the exercise piece to you know a really digestible dosage of things that the human body now receives everything from triplanar movement where we're you know raising and lowering twisting and moving into the side plane giving it distractions from the standpoint of how we affect the core moving in um in, in different planes and you know with weight without weight um elastic bands you know body weight and changing up the nervous system response around all these different movements and so the idea is that when this simplified program gets delivered in an expert manner to a human being, the brain soaks it up and delivers it through the body to produce these life-changing effects or right. maybe these life-sustaining effects. So you look at somebody who could be in a training program like this for 20 years, they're going to be getting trained incredibly well for 20 years. <laughs> if you put them up against an 11-year-old, 
anyone would say, well, that 11 year old's going to run circles around him. Right. I'm like, not in a stability exercise. She's been training with me for 17 years. <laughs> she'll, she'll outperform anybody in that one exercise. You know, like, so the ability for the body to absorb the concepts, um, the principles, uh, you know, it really working through this progressive overload concept of how we get people stronger and have them understand how to keep themselves stable. Yeah. You know, like kids don't learn that yet. You know, athletes don't learn that. And we're trying to really change things now as far as what the landscape looks like at the younger levels so that we can all outperform what's supposed to happen as we age. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, like one of the reasons I'm, I'm most excited about having, having you up specifically on this podcast is really our journey together because, you know, I came in to see you, I think it's four years, might even be coming up on five, but you know, I had back pain and I thought I, I went from being a, a runner to back pain where I thought I was never going to run again. And in working with you, you know, we got me back to the point to where I was running. And this past fall, I was able to run in a half marathon and get a personal record. But part of that whole thing was, uh, you know, preparing and being able to like fitness, some of fitness longevity for me is to be able to go on adventures and to be able to be in good physical condition so that I can go on adventures with my kids. Right. So, you know, I went from thinking I was never going to run again to, to being back to running. Like that's, that's no problem. Last month, you helped me get ready to be able to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, the roof of Africa, 20,000 feet, the highest point in, in that continent. And, uh, you know, I feel like we did it together, Rich, and I'm super grateful for that. And I think what, you know, what I want to, you know, really be able to emphasize with our listeners on this podcast episode is, you know, some of that preparation for adventure and, you know, I think um, we, you and I talk a lot during our sessions about the sedentary lifestyle. And uh, it's funny, um, when I recapped my climb on Kilimanjaro with my climbing partners, Kendall, who was on that episode, he, he started the climb with some bad back pain. And I kept reminding him something that you've told me over and over again, and that is motion is the lotion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. And, and so uh, that became kind of the mantra on uh, on that climb. But, you know, Kendall started out with, with back pain and he finished climbing that mountain feeling great. Can you talk a little bit about like the sedentary lifestyle and, and how what you're doing helps people to prepare for adventure? Sure. I mean, I think the, you know, from the perspective of what we've done um, to ourselves as a society, uh, you know, we we've really written a contract with technology that mm -hmm. in a sense says here take our bodies and do whatever you want with it because we are continuing to find ourselves as technology advances our society we find ourselves in a seated position more frequently we find ourselves with devices or something drawing our attention within about two feet in front or two feet below us and we find ourselves changing our spinal position into the same flexion-based um, you know, position that we're being told as you age, man, you better stay out of that. That's old man posture. Well, then why are we here starting at 26 in your first desk job after you get out of college, spend 35 years there. And then when you realize you need some exercise, you do sit-ups and we're constantly just perpetuating this 
forwardness in our in our body position yeah. and our structures. So for so for people, we're obviously on video here, you and I, and I can see your body. Yeah. You're kind of making these movements. For those people yeah. that are, are listening to the podcast, I mean, you know, you're demonstrating like these curled in, the shoulders are curled in, and everything's kind of collapsed inwards. And uh, mm -hmm. and what you're talking about is, you know, we need to get back to this place where we're kind of expanding. Yeah, I talk of, you know, we use we use terminology like we, you know, we envision our our spine looking like a cashew. Mm -hmm. um, or starting to look like a question mark mm -hmm. um, with the roundedness in the upper piece. And so the idea of maintaining a upright spinal position um, is paramount. It's the centerpiece for everything we do from a fitness standpoint in the fitness longevity system is you must start from a spinal position that is near or at neutral. And neutral then will translate into the ball and socket position at the shoulders and, you know, where we are with the hips and weight distribution side to side. So we can start to correct positions um, nearer to neutral before we even start moving. And that prepares the nervous system for the forthcoming movement. And thus regular practices like that prepare the body for adventure. Mm -hmm. And so the fitness longevity system and the algorithm in terms of how we, you know, we think about somebody coming in and they've got some stiffness. And so we first like think about taking the tissue through some mobilization tactics and techniques that are going to, you know, help to maybe gear down the nervous system a little bit that's been holding things so tight. Then we look at some, you know, maybe muscles that are opposing that area that's tight that might not have been as active and we work on activating that. And then we try to integrate everything the way that we would kind of use our bodies in life. And so the algorithm with how we follow this also kind of leads the body into how we prepare for all of our adventures. We do our warm-ups, we do our activation, we get moving. And so that's it. It's the sedentary position creates all this compression in the joints, all of this static, you know, just it's junk. I just call it junk. It's just this gunk in the tissue that gets sticky and there's no blood flow and the tendons get crispy and you know, movement is the only thing that starts to circulate blood mm -hmm. and produce, you know, we get synovial fluid going in the joint. That's our joint lubrication. And so, you know, as we start moving, we are starting to grease up the ball and socket and starting to get the joint surfaces gliding a little bit. You know, the muscles are pumping some blood through there. And it's almost like we're lotioning up the body where it was once just kind of stuck like a dried out sponge sitting behind the desk in a curled forward position, needing to get into the right position and get moving. And so the fitness longevity system gives us um, everything we need to be able to deliver that. What would you say to people that are feeling like they want to go participate in adventures? Maybe they want to go on a backpacking trip. Maybe they want to go climb a mountain. Maybe they're interested in like taking up some new sport. But what the story is that they're telling themselves is I'm not in, I'm not in good enough shape. I can't do that. Like, what would you say to people like that? And, and how might your system help them? Yeah, I'd say, you know what, you're probably right. Um, you've got to, you know, I never try to make it seem like we know something more than what somebody feels. If yeah. you feel you're not in shape, you're probably not. Yeah. Um, which makes something even as casual as, you know, walking kind of dangerous. If we look at the amount of impact that we can be delivering to the ankles, the knees, the hips, the lower back, you know, I always say you can't blow your ACL if you're sitting on the couch, but you can, if you get up and you start trying to exercise and you're a mess. Yeah. And so sometimes we got to really look at the fact that someone could be a level zero, you know, a true beginner. Yeah. Um, and we got to make sure that they are led through the protocol the right way. And another beautiful thing about the system and specifically the way Sam taught it to me was you don't move to step two until I've seen you with my own eyes own step one. So if we give you some ankle mobility work, 
because your ankles were sprained and they never got rehabbed and we give you some drills to do. We're not moving on to squats or any more, you know, complex compound movements until I've seen that your ankles are better than what they were. I need to see that with my own eyes. I'm not going to take your word for it. And so, you know, when we implement the program for the people that need specific things and they get their homework done and they make these changes, we can start to kind of guide them through and make sure that there's an appropriate starting point for each person. But if somebody feels like they're not in shape and it's strictly because of, say, their, um, their cardio capacity, um, you know, is better, you know, as well as anybody, if you're starting a new program, you're kind of starting from the beginning mm -hmm. pertaining to everything. Like, in other words, you were very, you had a very, um, you know, a great background as an endurance athlete. And even with your pain, you still maintained activity enough that you came in and you had some cardio, but we worked on in my program, cardio, strength, flexibility, mobility, power, speed. So you were new to everything as it related to my new system or your experience in my program, your new fitness adventure. And so when somebody comes in and they feel like they're not in shape, we're like, yeah, if you drove here in a car, your hips are probably stiff. Mm -hmm. If you sit down for work, your hips and your ankles are probably stiff and your glutes are turned off. You know, when we saw it when COVID started, all of a sudden, all these desk workers that just were the people I described had an unlimited amount of time to go start. I'm walking seven miles a day now through my neighborhood. And I'm like, dude, on cement with <laughs> shoes that are two years old, like you're going to destroy yourself. And so that was 2020. We saw everybody get out there and start moving. Yeah. And by late 2020 into 21, in came all the weird fasciitis stuff that's not typical like what we see and, you know, tight soleus in people that we never seen before, you know, the calf muscles underneath there, like sure. weird, funky stuff because people just got out and started going. So we really saw very recently what it can look like if we just send people out there into this culture of, you know, I, I always say, we're, you know, it's this, this coin toss thing, right? Everything to me is like, it's this or it's this. Right. I feel like we've got one side of the coin that is telling people in the fitness capacity, go out and move often. And then guys like me and Sam are over here on the other side of the coin saying, yeah, we'll get to that. That's the other side of the coin. The other side that we're focusing on is you must move well. Yeah. Like we had to teach you how to walk again. We did. On your first session. You, you did. You know? yes. <laughs> but you walked in. So you, how do you, you know, you clearly know how to walk. But we broke down your biomechanical movement from the beginning with the most functional thing that all humans do if they're uninjured. They walk. And so we reprogrammed how your body moved, literally reprogrammed it from your brain through every tissue in your body until everything that you were doing was done with biomechanical precision. And we made sure that the areas required to do it with repetition were functionally strong and the joints were mobile. And so when you plug the system in, you can, you can really get anybody anywhere they need to be. Well, and, and I can say, I mean, I think just having my own personal experience, this isn't, th there were a lot of ahas involved. It wasn't the learning that you, that you taught me, the lessons that you taught me. It was kind of like, oh, and then it's like, mm -hmm. you know, mentally I get it. And then it was really just about like practicing it in the repetition. So, you know, I think for somebody that like wants to go on an adventure, that there's something that they want to do, but the physical aspect is holding them back. It's not like this has to take, you know, years and years and years and years. You just have to make sure you get the fundamentals down. So, you know, I guess I'd love for you to kind of speak on that in terms of like timeline, specifically for somebody that, you know, might not be going on that adventure because they're worried about the physical aspect. Yeah. I mean, you're a great example, right? Like you, um, you came to me, you had some pretty significant back pain 
and you felt that your back pain was going to limit your capacity to ever be a runner again or to have a decent quality of movement. Um, I said, well, man, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear about your back pain. Tell me about your accident. And you were like, well, I didn't really have an accident. And I immediately, something goes off in my head when I hear that. Like if I hear somebody tell me that they've got pain, but there was no impact, you know, Sam would always say that, you know, you, your program has to be, you know, we, our tagline would say, when knowledge and experience meet common sense, mm-hmm. because there's this common sense thing that is incorporated with everything that we do that should be the driving force behind a lot of the decisions and con- we make and conclusions we come to. So here I am hearing somebody tell me about pain, significant pain in their back. And I'm waiting to hear a story about, yeah, I fell off the ladder, taking down the Christmas lights or, you know, I got hit, you know, I fell off a motorcycle and it was going 35 miles an hour. But in the absence of impact, when something hurts, there's usually some dots that we can start to connect that are going to lead us to a more solution-based outcome than just trying to get relief for the pain. So what I mean by that is if somebody were to come in and say, I have back pain, and it turns out that that person is, you know, super tall, say six, five or higher, and they sit for 50 hours a week at a desk, and that desk chair is meant for guys in my height range at about 5'10", then that guy's going to be jammed up at his desk for a long time, and his hips are going to be stiff, and his spine is going to be rounded forward, and he doesn't fit. And so that's kind of the caveat for people as it applies to this timeline, right? Like the fitness longevity system is going to have us take you through some movements in our initial meeting that are going to point out very clearly, do you own this or not? Mm -hmm. So that means we get the starting point right. And in our non-impact pain-based people, we're going to find something that needs to get stretched or something that needs to get strengthened or something that needs to get stabilized. And when we can deliver that aha moment, pretty early on in the program, we get people to now have a level of buy-in that's going to make them very consistent with their stretches and with their exercises and with their correctives and therapeutic strategies. So it's almost like watching this person emerge from this funk of like, man, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do my, you know, adventure because I got this knee thing. Now, all of a sudden, one day you come out of the gym and you're like, actually, this maniac trainer over there explained to me that it was really an ankle injury on the other side from high school track that never got rehab that led to me leaning too much on the other side and that knee became unstable. So I actually have hope that if I rehab the ankle and unwind some junk on the other side, that I might actually be able to be pretty normal here because he's right. I never really fell off a skateboard or got hit by a car. I was never really, I never crashed too hard. So nothing should be disrupted in there. So you start to now see somebody feel hopeful not only about their next potential adventure, but about the prospect of staying consistent with a program. For sure. For sure. And and I think, you know, it, if there's one takeaway, I think I just want people to know that there's hope because sometimes you think, you know, it's, you know, like for me, I thought I was done running, but you know, there was education and things that you taught me. And then there was the, the practice and the repetition and there, there, were, there were ahas. And so, you know, there, there is hope and that's for sure. Well, Rich, this has been awesome. I've got two more questions that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. So at some yeah. point, we're going to make a movie about your life and fitness longevity and, and all the people that you've helped. But I want to know who the Hollywood actor is going to be that's going to play you in this movie. Ooh, a Hollywood actor. Um, you know, Randy Couture. Randy Couture. What, who's he, what is he in? 
Randy Couture is an ex MMA legend who turned oh, into okay. an actor. He was in that movie with Sylvester Stallone and um, The Expendables. He was one of those like big mercenary nice. dudes, big All tough right. guy. The reason I say that is because you know, as a dude with a shaved head and into the you know hand to hand combat stuff and all that i've been said that that's kind of like my celebrity lookalike i love it over you know <laughs> and he's been in enough movies now that his name's fairly recognizable but i think what would be interesting is that my life is so unconventional from the standpoint of what i've done athletically yeah um and movement oriented that somebody who's basically spent a lifetime in that you know combat culture um, to pull someone athletically gifted in that world into other things like mountain biking and doing all this other crazy stuff. It would probably be pretty awesome for a dude like that to play me in a movie about I my love life. It. I <laughs> you love know, it. like he'd love that more than I would. <laughs> That's super fun. So what? So what's your movie going to be called? Uh, man, I I think it would have to be uh, Pull Back from the Edge. You know, that's sort of kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I was always kind of thinking about, yeah, where's the edge? Um, I can't see it. Let me push it, push it, push it. And now I realize like, you know, um, pulling back from the edge is probably like, I need the discipline to gear down yeah. more than I need to put the pedal down and continue pushing forward at a high rate. That's kind of what got me into trouble, but that's sort of what's kept me out of trouble now is, you know, the idea that I can dose my exercise at a less level so that my arm doesn't hurt and I can play competitive baseball as an adult. Um, I can gear down my overall movement in general to make sure I get enough time to recover and sleep so that I can fully repair from all the damage I do. And so gearing down has sort of, you know, pulling back from the very edge has helped me to get more out of what I can do um, than continuing to just drive forward and just floor it, which was really fun until you get busted up. <laughs> I love it. All right, pull back from the edge, starring Randy Couture. That would be awesome. I that would love be it. awesome. Man, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, for the listeners, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Rich's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure, because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Rich, thank you for being here. Thanks, Scott. You're the man.